Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Well, hello, everybody. It's so good to be with you. Thanks for joining us here in the room. And of course, thank you for joining us online today. We are pretty grateful and excited about uh, what God has in store today. So I want to jump into it rather quickly. Um, I want to ask a rather padded question, if, if you will. I, uh, how many of you, and I'm, I'm, I'm talking to, you know, I know people that care about this, but how many of you are thankful for the idea and the reality of the church? And what I mean by that is, is the Big C Church. Like, how many of you are grateful for the Big C Church? And you can just do that by this saying, like, amen, I'm grateful for the Big C Church. How many of you are grateful for the Big C Church? And I don't just mean thankful for OKC community. I mean the church that is the global church, the church that is uh, the people around the world fighting the good fight, right? The people around the world that have faced persecution uh, for the sake of Christ, for those who represent the light of the world, for those who are sharing love and being kind and being Jesus to others. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I think about the body of Christ and all that has endured through the history of the world, And I think about the fact that it still stands today when everybody wants to say that it's failing and to know that it's still prevailing. I'm grateful for the church. Anybody with me? Are we there? Are we there today? Because I believe, I believe God has got such a huge plan in store for the church through this season of time that we're going through. And just to think about all that's happened already in the past over history to know that this thing it isn't going to take the church out at all. And and, uh, today I want to share some things that I hope will encourage the church today because I know that we all need a little encouragement. I know that a lot of us are probably, uh, you know, we're feeling the effects of the weight of the world or perhaps the weight of a situation that we're walking through or, you know, we, we all have our personal needs and then we all have our communal needs, but I know that encouragement is needed. And so I want to encourage one another, spur one another on. And so this capital C church thing, um, the global church, right? It's made up of thousands and thousands of little individual churches like us, right? There's Churches like us everywhere. And, and I want to read a quote to you from author and theologian Dallas Willard. Uh, he, describes, he describes what we are as individual churches. And I love this description. I'll put this on the screen. But it says this, churches are not the kingdom of God among us. Churches are, inevitable expre- are an inevitable expression, outpost, and instrument of the presence of God among us. Let me say that again because I think I messed it up. Churches are not the kingdom of God, but are the primary and inevitable expression, outpost, and instrument of the presence of God among us. Churches are societies of Jesus that spring up in places like Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And I love that. It's really good, right? I mean, this idea that we are the expression of the presence of God among us. And to a first century disciple, you know, whenever Jesus said to the ends of the earth, places like Oklahoma City, is literally the ends of the earth, right? Like we're it, we're the final frontier and there is a society of Jesus set up right here in this city, which I think is a a beautiful thing. And I know that we want to be this outpost of the kingdom of God. I know that's something we all want. Um, So again, I wanna encourage us today. I I wanna turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 14, verse 27, as we get into this, we're gonna cover a lot of ground today. So here we go. Uh, Matthew 14, verse 27. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, 
tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on water, and came toward Jesus. But when, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Okay, this is, of course, from the well-known story of Jesus walking on water, Peter stepping out of the boat to join him on the water. And really, there's th this idea of stepping out of the boat is something that we're all called to do, and we've talked about a lot in different sermons, but the idea of stepping out of the boat of complacency or people-pleasing or stepping out of the boat of whatever fear we have, the idea that we are to step out of anything that would be attached to the old way of life and stepping into the new way of life that Jesus calls us to is something that we're all called to do, that there is some sort of step of faith that we're going to have to take in life and probably multiple times in our life in which we would fulfill the way of life that Jesus has called us to. And so, but I want you to catch something in this story with Peter that maybe we, we don't always catch. But if you notice what happened to Peter, he had the courage, of course, to step out of the boat, but then he was afraid. And what was he afraid of? It said that he was afraid because he saw the wind. Isn't that interesting? He didn't just feel the wind. He didn't see the effects of the wind, but he saw the wind. That somehow Peter saw something that was invisible to most of us. And which for me, you know, I'm like, is that really what's going on in this passage? But I think what I believe when Peter stepped out of the boat, he saw things that we don't typically see. Are you with me? that he saw some of what Jesus was inviting us to see, what he is bidding us to come towards. And when we step into the things we can't see, like Peter did in this instance, we miraculously are given the ability to see things that we don't otherwise see. And so I want to talk about this invisible nature of the kingdom of God just for a minute. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 11. It says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of the Pharaoh's daughter, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God. Everyone say, people of God. Rather, to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value than the treasures of Egypt. That is a powerful verse. He, he regarded disgrace for the sake of, of Christ, meaning whatever, like nothing for the sake of Christ. It was greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, and he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. It says, by faith Moses left Egypt because he saw him who is invisible. So much of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to follow things and trust in things that we can't even see. Right now in today's world, what are we seeing? We are seeing a lot of things, aren't we? We're seeing a lot of fears, a lot of worries. We're seeing a lot of things that uh, the people of God, even the, the body of Christ, perhaps more than any other time in our collective lives, we actually are seeing things, but we need to see the invisible things right now. We need to see the things that God wants to make visible to us because he's surrounding all of our fears, all of our worries with things like love and peace joy. He's, he's surrounding us, and I think for a lot of us, we're aware of that, and we need to see it even more clearly. Some of us, and maybe not today, maybe not you watching, but we're aware of this when it comes to the body of Christ, 
that many Christians are stuck in the boat. They're stuck in the boat. Jesus is saying, come out, step out onto the water with me. Some of us are clinging to the treasures of Egypt. But he's saying your treasure should be that of Jesus Christ alone. That disgrace for Christ is greater than all the treasures of Egypt. And for some of us, and I'm t- again, we're talking about the church today, right? A little bit. For some of us, the cost of following Jesus feels too high. We struggle to go all in, so instead we opt into the casual Christian sort of life that allows us in our minds to have our cake and eat it too. But anyone who actually reads the Bible or understands anything about Jesus understands that Jesus is not a casual thing. Jesus isn't something that we can kind of just do halfway. Jesus didn't say, hey, I want you to drop one or two things and follow me. Jesus said, I want you to drop everything and follow me. And above all, we got to believe that if Jesus is calling us to this kind of way of life, this kind of thing we've been talking about for a number of weeks, if he's calling us to this and he's calling us to obedience and he's calling us to greater measures of trust, he's calling us to step out of the boat, he's calling us to let go of the treasures of Egypt. If he's calling us to all those things, why does he do it? Does he do it because he's angry with us? Does he do it because he's controlling? Does he do it because he, he, wants, uh, he wants to instill fear in us? Is, is he doing it out of the fact that we have this God who is just this controlling, angry judge in heaven? Is that way he does it? Because sometimes we can think that. Maybe he's trying to make us into some spiritual weirdos. I don't know what he's trying to do, right, for a lot of us. But I don't think it's for any of those reasons. It's because we are, his ways are simply a completely different system. And his system is incompatible, incompatible with the systems of this world. Everyone say incompatible. <laughs> trying to follow Jesus but also to try and adopt many of the ways of the world around us, the prevailing culture, trying to do both and, if you will, is like trying to mix two different operating systems. It's like trying to, it's like trying to, to, to install an Apple operating system on a PC. Right? It doesn't work. Those two, those two systems don't mix. You know, and in this case, the, the Apple operating system represents Jesus, and the ways of the world represent the PC. Are you with me? That's, I, now, this, this is just an illustration, so stay with me, because Jesus loves, Jesus loves Apple, and he loves Windows, and he loves Android, and he even loves Acer. Like, he loves us all, all right? He loves everybody, but, but here's the thing. We can all acknowledge that whenever you have two different operating systems that don't merge together, it fails, right? It doesn't work. And Jesus is saying, my system, my way of life, He's saying, my, word, my ways don't work with the ways of materialism. They don't work with the ways of individualism. They don't work with the ways of secularism. They don't work with the political regimes or greed or not loving your neighbors or thing, anything that's impure. My ways are incompatible with those ways. They don't work. It's two different systems of life. The system that the world offers, it may work for a season, but eventually it'll give out. God's system, Jesus' way of life, it's a system that never gives out. It's actually designed for eternity. It's actually designed for a loving relationship between you and God forever. So 
<laughs> At this point, I feel the need to pause and just sort of ask even my own self, what am I talking about? <laughs> what are we talking about today? Well, I, I, I want to talk about this tendency that we have to try and merge incompatible systems. There is a way of life that God has given, and there is a way of life that the world, it's actually several ways of life that the world offers. And we still are trying to merge the two, even as the body of Christ, even as Christians. And I believe in the world right now, it's, it's, a, it's especially in Western culture, which is, of course, us, it's a tough place for believers. Uh, so much has changed in the last two or three decades, not only in the world, but even in the church. You know, it was just, I was thinking about it, it was just 25, 30 years ago that churches, pretty much all churches were using hymnals. Pretty much all churches were having a Wednesday night potluck. Pretty much all churches were using the, you know, flannel graphs in kids' ministry. Anybody know what I'm talking about, these things? Anybody, anybody miss those days? You know what I'm saying? Like, there's some simplicity in all those things that I loved. And some churches are still doing that, which is nothing wrong with that. And then there's a lot of us that, that look a lot different because the world has changed. And the world has changed, and, I, and I'm not going to go through some cultural commentary here because it's, it's pretty obvious the world has changed. The world has changed through the process of globalization. We've seen a social and technological revolution that has kind of hit all of us in the face. We have an endless information stream coming at us, new social media from hundreds of people that we try and keep up with daily, work that never ends and never turns off because we live in a digital world where everything's at our fingertips. And the pressure to keep up with all of this is coming at us every day, whether you're a Christian or not. And so as believers, we have to understand like so much is coming in to my life. It isn't just as simple as it was 25, 30 years ago where I can compartmentalize things much more easier. Now everything is like this spiritual kind of global kind of information kind of melting pot that comes at me every day. How do I distinguish my spiritual life versus my ways? Of, I mean, so you see, we're trying to merge these systems together because the world is forcing us to in some ways. And this is a difficult thing for Christians. More than ever, it can feel like the Peter situation that anytime we get motivated or we get inspired to go step out of the boat, right? Anytime we do, we see the wind and we get afraid. But the thing about that story that I haven't mentioned yet that we have to remember is Peter got afraid, but he didn't have to because Jesus was with them in the wind. Peter only saw part of what he was supposed to see. Peter saw the scary part and he cried out, Lord, save me. But Jesus was with them in the wind. He could have stood there with them. You see, if all we notice is the wind we might miss Jesus. And I wonder how many in the church, this is their story. You know, even though the church isn't going anywhere, even though it's endured through history, there's been a lot of casualties of people along the way. And I don't want to miss Jesus. I don't want you to miss Jesus. Because all ways of life will fail except one. Always. And here's the thing that I love about the way of Jesus. He doesn't, he doesn't ask us to live it perfectly. He asks us to live it passionately. And so many of us, you know, when we get off or we mess up or we trip up, we feel like we're out. 
And so we detach from church or community or we detach from spiritual rhythms and routines because we feel like we've failed. And God isn't looking for perfection. He's looking for passion. He also is saying you can't do this 20% or 50%. It is a, it's an all-heart thing. I want 100% of your passion. And this is what Jesus is calling us to. And so today I'm not really saying anything terribly different than I've said the last 15 weeks of the series but that Jesus provides a way of life. And, and he's called us to live it. And there's been this threaded theme throughout that we should practice these ways. We should live these ways. And it's like he's continually asking us throughout life, kind of like he did Peter in another story in John chapter 21, whenever he asked John, or excuse me, when he asked Peter, do you love me, Peter? You guys remember this story in John 21? Peter had already, he had already denied Christ three times. And so he was feeling like a pretty big failure. And Jesus comes to him in resurrected form. He comes and finds Peter and he has this conversation with him in which he says, Peter, do you love me? What is Jesus doing in this story? This is like one of the classic kind of all-time great stories of Jesus bringing restoration to someone, bringing renewal to someone. He says, listen, Peter, I know you're not perfect, but do you love me? Peter said, Lord, yes, you know I do. And he asked him three times, of course, right? Because we know that God is a God of uh, just all sorts of meaning and purpose. And he's like, you've denied me three times, so I'm going to ask you three times. Did you, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I do. Then go do what I've called you to go. Go build my church. You see, that moment for Peter was a renewal of his passion. It wasn't just a restoration that God had forgiven him. It was like, Peter, don't forget who you are, even when you mess up. So the question for us today is, are you trying to merge two systems of life that are essentially incompatible? And, and I think it's a big question that, you know, we really can't just quickly just assume we're doing great. It takes a little more thought, in my opinion, than to just say, oh, I'm good. I got that. I'm doing all right. I, I'm not merging two systems. Like... Today I'm challenging you to just kind of like set into the, settle into this idea for a moment. Consider your life. Consider the ways of your life. And just really ask yourself, where am I trying to shove something in that God doesn't want in? Maybe deep down, you've been afraid of planting your feet in the ways of Jesus. Because you know it will cost you something. Or maybe you've been told by others that the things of Jesus, your matters of faith, they're a private matter. So, you know, you, know, you need to keep sort of all that out of the public sphere, you know what I mean? Keep those things about Jesus on the DL. And maybe you've kind of subscribed to that way of life because that's what the people you've respected or the people that you know, that's how people live. And the truth is, is American Christianity is much, very much reserved to the prayer closet and, to the, and, and, and inside the head. And it isn't really lived out in the world. And so how do we actually take it out of the closets and out of the, out of the brains and into the streets is something that the American Christian needs to really consider in their own life because we've bought into, and perhaps you've been this person, you've bought into the idea that we're not supposed to commit the party fouls, right? And what are the party fouls? What are the two things you don't talk about at a party? You don't talk about politics or religion, right? But here's the good news about Jesus. He is neither political nor religious. <laughs> so you can talk about Jesus all you want because Jesus is actually a way of life. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is the good news. Jesus, Jesus is a person that we can talk about. And here's the thing. We talk about the things that we love in life. And if you love Jesus, then you should talk about him to the people that you love. 
When you're passionate about Jesus, you can't stay quiet. That's what, that's what Peter and John said. We can't remain quiet about the things that we've seen and heard. That's what they said to the Sanhedrin and to the people that were trying to muzzle them. They're like, listen, can't happen. I've seen too much. I know too much. We talk about the things we love. <laughs> Jesus, is a, Jesus is like a marathon, not a sprint. Meaning if you're trying to get a quick fix or immediate gratification, you're going to miss out, on Je- miss out on what Jesus is really about. You see, Jesus is a marathon mentality in a world that only knows how to sprint right now. For example, we might pray for a day, we might pray for a week, or maybe you're just muscling up and you're praying for a month. And you're like going all in on prayer and, and it just doesn't feel like God's hearing your prayer or answering your prayer, or perhaps you're not getting the feels or the spiritual chills that you want in prayer. And you're like, I don't know, maybe, I don't know if this is working. And perhaps we aren't actually noticing the invisible things that Jesus is doing in those days or weeks or a month of prayer. Perhaps we're looking for something Whenever he's doing something else, perhaps before he could give you what we wanted, what you wanted, he had to uninstall the incompatible systems in your life that we've allowed to be downloaded. You know, most of you are familiar with the business principle. Maybe you've heard this statement. Your systems are perfectly designed to produce the results you're getting. Anybody know this? Anybody heard this? Your, your systems are perfectly designed to get the results you're getting. Right? <laughs> this is obviously true in business. Let's just say, I'm gonna, I made this up for you. What if, let's just say you have a restaurant and you make cheeseburgers. And uh, you are not making enough profit on your cheeseburgers because you sell your cheeseburgers a la carte for $3.99. The problem is, though, your cost for that cheeseburger, when you talk about the cost of the products, when you talk about the employees, the rent, the utilities, each cheeseburger, if you were going to break it down to a per cheeseburger price, is $3.82 in cost, which means that you have a 17-cent profit as the business owner that you get to bring home. Now, you have to sell 350,000 cheeseburgers to clear 50 grand. My point is, unless you're Ronald McDonald selling billions and billions, you're not going to be making any money, and you're going to end up falling on your face and you're going to fail, right? But listen, your system is perfectly designed to get the results you're getting. You're the one to design the system that only makes 17 cents profit. My suggestion is raise your burger to $5.99 and you'll be a lot better. Make a better system, right? Or reduce your cost. The, 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 <clears throat> the point is the system has to change. The system has to change. This, this can have a similar application to your spiritual walk with Jesus. It's time to, if it's time to step out of the boat or release the treasures of Egypt or whatever it is, if, if there's a way of life that you discontinually subscribe to that you know you shouldn't, perhaps there's a system overhaul that needs to be done. I want to give you a picture that I believe is, is true for many of us. First, though, I want to read a, a quote from A.W. Tozer, which I read just a couple weeks ago. <clears throat> but it just kind of fits really well once again. It says this, The greatest enemy is not outside of us. It is within. It's an attitude of accepting things as they are. 
and accepting things as they are and considering, am I accepting things as they are? And what does that mean? It's, it's a tough question, once again, one that should take some thought and consideration. But I was thinking about this in, in terms of the story of God's people, the Israelites, and their escape or exodus from, from Egypt. Uh, I want to show you visually how this story plays out. And, and I've actually used this, this kind of picture that I'm going to share with you before, but it's, but it's been a while, and, it, and I think it works really well today. And so I want to remind you of it. And for some of you, the first time you've ever kind of seen us talk about it like this. But So at the beginning of the book of Exodus, if you know the story of God's people, we have, we have the people of God are slaves in Egypt. You guys remember this, right? There are slaves in Egypt. They need to be freed. And God partners up with, uh, with Moses, and he says, Moses, we need to go to work, and we need to go and get our people out of Egypt. And so God goes with Moses, and he rescues God's people, right? He rescues God's people, and the people of God are rescued. In fact, it says that they're saved, right? And so the people of God are saved. And it's, again, a far cry from the promises of Abraham and far, far cry from the promises that God has for them. But he rescues them, and he saves them, and they journey towards the promise. They do journey toward the promises of God, and so they're headed towards the promised land. You guys know the story, right? I'm, I'm, I'm not... I'm, not, I'm just kind of reviewing real quickly uh, several chapters of the Bible, right? So they're, he- they're headed towards the promised land of God, but this journey takes some time. It actually takes about a year to go from Egypt, because you're walking, to the promised land. But before they get there, they stop at a place called Mount Sinai. In the scriptures, it's also called Mount Horeb, right? And so they get to this big mountain, and they stop at this place, and they stay for a little bit. And Moses is like, okay, God, I need to meet with you. So Moses goes to the top of the mountain. You know, I'm sure he's camping out and he has a little, he has a little fire in place and he's like, you know, waiting for God to kind of meet with them. And then he has this moment and it's like, ah, you know what I mean? And, and there's this moment in which God meets with Moses and he gives him what's known as the Ten Commandments, right? And so Moses comes down the mountain with the tablets and he's bringing what's called the law. Everybody say the law. So the law isn't, it, it sounds so heavy, and it kind of is, but it's just ten commandments that are the first original system of life. It is the way of life that God did pre-Jesus. This is like, hey, this is what I want to give you to do, to have a little order in your life to where you don't go off and just do whatever you want. Here's the first way of life. Jesus, of course, comes. He doesn't abolish the law, but he comes to fulfill it, to make it walk and talk and to give it life and, and flesh and blood. And so the law becomes a little bit different after Jesus, but most of the law, I would say all of the law, is still intact, right? Should we murder? No. Should we commit adultery? No. Should we? I mean, the list goes on and on. Like every one of the Ten Commandments is still, is still a way of life today. So after this ah, ah, ah moment, <clears throat> the Lord said something to the people. In Deuteronomy, I'll read this, chapter 1. He says, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. Go to all the neighboring peoples. See how I have given you this land. Go and take possession of the land the Lord promised he would give. So God says, you've been here long enough. You've circled this mountain long enough. It's time to break camp and enter into the promise. And so they're going to go break camp 
and head to the promised land, right? It's like now is the time God says, go, step out of the boat, leave Egypt. It's time to get after the life that I've called you to. And I'll summarize what happens from here, but the people are encouraged to break camp. And of course, they get a little nervous and they think we should go spy out the land. And so they send some spies into the land. They get nervous because they see a bunch of things they aren't familiar with, a bunch of people they, aren't, they don't know. And it's their version of seeing the wind, right? So they see the wind, they get afraid, they retreat, and they say, we shouldn't go into the land. We shouldn't go into the land. They forgot that God said, I'll be with you, just like Jesus was with Peter, by the way, in the wind. He's with them in this moment where they're supposed to break camp, but they say, I don't know, we shouldn't do this. And instead of breaking camp, they head back to the mountain and they start circling the mountain. They start wandering and walking in circles for 40 years, right? In this time that we call the season in which the people of God wandered in the desert. And basically all they did was they stopped trusting God. They stopped living in his ways. And they chose their own path, which looked a little bit more like a rut than a rhythm, by the way. They found themselves in a rut that was hard to break free from. It was a way of life, a system where they were stuck. They were still the people of God, but they were in a rut. So maybe this way, maybe I could say it this way this morning, like how do we make this whole idea of you merging two systems, incompatible systems, how do we make it more practical? Maybe I could say it this way. Are you living in a rut? Do you need to break free of a system and a way of life that you've, that you've been living in and it's, and, it, and it's preventing you from pursuing the promises of God? Do you need to start trusting in the invisible realities of the kingdom instead of the physical realities of the world? You see, Jesus' ways are always about rhythms and not ruts. Ruts expect nothing new while rhythms with God expect transformation and progress. You see, spiritual ruts are about comfort, security, convenience, and familiarity. They accept things as they are, as A.W. Tozer says, right? Spiritual rhythms are about discovery and growth and experiencing more of God. Spiritual rhythms believe that God has more in store. I don't just have to keep doing the same thing over and over again, but as I do the rhythm with God, I'm moving forward and progressing with Him. See, as Christ followers, when we live with little to no spiritual rhythm in our life, we can mentally think that we're operating out of the operating system of Jesus, but the truth is, is we're actually living something very different because Jesus doesn't live in ruts. He lives in rhythms. And so when we live in a rut or we live absent of rhythm, maybe I can say it that way, we're actually adopting a different way of life. Am I teaching anybody today? Are we talking about something real today? So as we close today, I want to give you something to, to think about. As 2020, uh, it's, thrown, <laughs> it's thrown a lot at us to get us off our game. It's, it's caused a lot of us to question our way of life. I, I feel like a lot of believers, specifically the body of Christ, has questioned their way of life. And although that's discouraging in some ways, this disruption can be a, a really good thing because anytime there's a disruption to where we'll pause a little bit to consider our way of life, it, it really does allow us to be a little bit more like clay in the potter's hand. 
And I feel like that's possible right now for the body of Christ. We're a little more moldable. Our, our systems have been kind of tossed up in the air. Our rhythms are a little bit more exposed. And our ruts are a little more visible. And it's time now to kind of step into the invisible reality of the kingdom and to see what God has next for us. Because I believe it can be sort of like the Peter, John 21 moment where Jesus looks at us and says, do you love me? And then I want, to get, I want you to get about what you're supposed to be doing. In a few weeks, uh, we start the new year. 2021 is coming. It's coming fast. And we're going to be doing a teaching series on Sundays called, simply called Renewal. And we're going to be doing it throughout the month of January. And it's not just a teaching series. We hope that it's sort of a movement in our lives, maybe even beyond our church. And obviously, the start of 21 starts, it kind of provides the perfect backdrop, right, for renewal uh, to get us out of our spiritual ruts or the ruts that we have in life or to break free of incompatible systems or however we want to say it. And, I, and I'm very excited about January. And um, there's a lot that we can lean in together. We're going to talk about the renewal of our mind, body, heart, soul, those sorts of things. And in fact, I want to go ahead and ask something of you today. Um, I want to ask you to consider to do your very best to plan on prioritizing and being at church every Sunday in the month of January. And when I say in church, I mean in person or online. If you can be in person, we believe that that would be awesome, but we know a lot of you are worshiping at home for very specific reasons that we want to support. And so we would say be online with us at 1030 on Sundays if you're not with us in person at 1030 on Sundays. And I want to encourage you to, to get into a rhythm of church because one thing 2020 has done, maybe not for you, but for the church as a whole, is it's disrupted the spiritual rhythm of the gathering of believers. And it's become, and it's having, it's, it's taking, a, it's making an impact on, on the church as a whole. And, and one of the things we know is that the gathering of believers isn't something that we do to sustain or to, to, to kind of do ourselves. It's something that Jesus established and Jesus wants us to continue to do. And it matters a lot. And so for a lot of us, we've been out of the spiritual rhythm of church. And I would say, let's make the commitment in January, you know, COVID, no COVID, whatever it is, like, well, let's not make that the scapegoat. Let's figure it out. Let's figure out how to be in person or online. And, and 2021 needs to begin with some spiritual rhythms. One of those, as I'm mentioning, is corporate worship, teaching, and fellowship. But uh, by the way, my guess is that a lot of us, it'll take a kind of a mind shift to come to church five Sundays in a row. By the way, January has five Sundays. <laughs> so perfect. Jesus says go the extra mile, friends. You know what I mean? But renewal isn't just about coming to church. Renewal is about so many more things when it comes to our mind, body, heart, and soul. And um, we're going to talk about a lot of those things. And it's also not reserved to a time frame of January. But I would just say, as we get closer to it, I would maybe, maybe even in your own heart, start preparing your own heart. Like, what does renewal look like for me in 2021? What does it look like to renew my, my heart, mind, soul, strength, mind, body, soul, strength, whichever language you want to use in that? But we want, to, we want to lean into that because I believe there's a lot to do there and a lot of good things that can happen. And like I said, I feel like we're a little bit like clay in the potter's hand as the body of Christ right now. And so I'm like, okay, God, what do you got for us? We want to renew our hearts. So how do we respond today? All right. Well, I, I have one thing with three parts. 
So that you might just add it up and say there's four things, but I'm going to go ahead and say one thing <laughs> with three parts. All right. The first one is this. I just want you to reflect and pray. And what are you reflecting on and praying on? That's the one thing. Here's the three parts of reflecting and praying. Number one, what system of the world can personally pull you away from the ways, or from the ways of Jesus? This is a personal reflection of you asking yourself, are there ways of the world that are pulling me away from just the system and the way of life that Jesus gives us? Because a lot of times our ways are not led by Jesus. They're led by a lot of other things. And I have those in parentheses up there. Things like worry or fear, materialism or individualism or crisis. Sometimes crisis just rules the day in people's life, right? And productivity, social acceptance, comfort, security, or fill in the blank, right? Is there a way of life that you're like, I constantly keep tripping over that. Identify it. Start praying through that because this is a part of renewal. Number two, what spiritual rhythms need renewal for you? We've been talking a little bit about this over the last number of weeks and months, but there's probably some rhythms that you're like, I need that to be renewed in my heart. Now, along with this, I would say that there may be a time to identify what are the ruts then that you're living in. The things that you're like, that's not a healthy thing, that's more like a rut instead of a rhythm. So maybe you're identifying the rhythms you need, the ruts you're living into. And then number three, what else is God putting in your heart, speaking, prompting, or guiding? This is just my question to say, you know, as believers, we should be listening to the Holy Spirit. We want to be spirit-led people. And, and, and here's the thing, I, I believe that God is going to speak to those who are listening and those who are are, are wanting to hear from him. And you're like, what do you mean he's speaking? What is he going to do? How is he going to speak to me? You know, just he's going to speak to your heart. He's going to put things in you. You're going to put passions in you. And he's going to say, those are the things that I want you to pursue. So these one thing, three parts, and you may snap a picture, you may write these things down, but, but here's what I want to do is I really want to nudge you in a gentle, kind way to actually do something like this this week. Because here's what I know, anytime a, you know, pastoral homework or some sort of, you know, reflection on a sermon comes. I know how a lot of us do sermons, right? We listen to them and then we leave. A lot of us do sermons like, uh, you know, I get an immediate rating, like it was a three star. <laughs> All right, I'm out of here. You know what I mean? Whatever. No, I mean, you know, it is, it is what it is. And I get it. Like we kind of say that was an amazing one, or that was a middle one, or that was an, yeah, I don't think that was for someone else, whatever. <laughs> I get it, but I want to give you a nudge. Your system is designed perfectly for the results you are getting. And if your system, with even as practical as it is to like take a teaching and apply it to your life, is a thing that you say, that's not something I really do, that's not really my way of doing it. Oh, there's those people that really like to journal, this is for them. If your system isn't about reflection and prayer, isn't about taking the next step, isn't about applying teaching, I would say a system change is needed. Enough nudging, right? Well, I began this morning talking about the Big C Church, so I might as well close with it. Earlier this week, I was, uh, I was just remembering when, especially my older girls, Emily and Karis, were, were younger, uh, but all of our kids do this, you know, the idea of like imaginary play, you know what I mean? Playing house, playing school, you know, that kind of thing. They used to do it all the time though. And, 
and uh, they had a little kitchen and they'd be playing house and, and you know they obviously couldn't cook but they could imagine they were cooking and so I'd come into the room and I would sit down and I would eat imaginary pancakes or 399 cheeseburgers or, or whatever it is right and and we'd have this kind of thing and they obviously it obviously wasn't real cooking but we had fun with it and that's because that's what kids do they have fun and they that, that, that was right and that was perfect for them at that age and and, and you know I, I love memories like that but I can I can remember you know our church is now seven seven years old um, almost eight later this spring and and when we first began I had this conviction that my life and the life of many of my Christian friends could be best described as playing church and that was really bothersome because we aren't kids shouldn't be a lease, right? Sure, a lot of good people, a lot of good intention, but at the end of the day, we were just struggling with the systems of life thing still. And we were just ended up kind of <laughs> kidding ourselves. And so in the early days, we used to say, and we still say this around here, but that we don't want to play church. Instead, we want to be the church the best way we know how. And we said that with conviction and meaning. And by the way, we still say that. It's still kind of plastered on different parts of our website and all that sort of stuff, but I mean, don't you really want to follow Jesus the best way you know how? And I, I know that hope is still alive today, not only for this body of Christ, but for you, and we're going to have some peaks and valleys along the way. We've had them probably, I know I've had them personally, we've had them communally, because listen, we aren't going to be perfect, but Jesus doesn't call us to perfection, he calls us to passion. He says, will you passionately go and be the church the best way you know how? So my friends, I'd like to pray together. So if you'd just bow your heads, if you're at home, just bow your heads. I just want to pray over us. In fact, we're going we're gonna to pray and then we do have another song. We're going to sing a song today that I, believe, I just feel like we should sing. We should, we should uh, lean into this together. But this idea that God has a way of life, again, this, this message is a little bit of a summary of the last 15 weeks. But that God has a way of life and, and the, way, the reason he's given us this way of life, it's, it's a gift to us. We've been handed the keys to the kingdom. We've been invited into the way everlasting. And so we should say, Father, thank you for that gift. Thank you for the way that you've helped us through the complexities of our humanity and our life and our misfired attempts to live our own life, maybe at times outside of your ways. And just like the people of God and Israel, help us to grab a hold of your rescue and your salvation. Father, I just want to pray for my friends and pray for our church. This year has been one of disruption and change and sickness. And in many ways, it's brought us to a place of just really desperation, willing like clay in your hands. And so, Father, I pray out of this desperation will come renewal. We ask you to renew your people. We ask you to renew us. Help us have the courage to break camp, <laughs> to have the faith like Moses who regarded Christ as a greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Help us have the courage to step out of the boat at the right moments. Help us be the church the best way we know how. 
For just a moment, I just want to invite you in a personal moment. Just ask the Spirit to lead you. Say, God, I just want you to lead me in life. Will you guide me? Just say that to him right now. Lord, I just want you to lead me. Will you guide me? Lead us, Holy Spirit, in the days ahead to, revi- to rely on the invisible, invisible qualities of your, of your kingdom that surround us. Let's think about that quote from Dallas Will. Lead us, Holy Spirit, to be an outpost and an expression of your kingdom here on earth. I'm sure many of you need the Spirit to lead you right now. You need God to guide you in his way, as it says in Psalms, in the way everlasting. We pray this in Jesus' name. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Would you stand with us? Let's worship together and just ask the Lord to just lead us during these days. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.